It is the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along this Monday afternoon. Glad to be able to come at you as I love to do every weekday over the airwaves of ESPN-UP from 4 till 5. We have a lot to get into today. We've got baseball because we now know the World Series matchup and it does not include the Yankees. How about that? We have got basketball because it's NBA Eve. Plus, we're going to take a look at the updated MVP race in the NFL. Of course, we got a lot of football to get into today, both college and pro. So let's start the way we always start a new week by taking a look back at the Sunday slate of games. This time, from week seven and we start in Atlanta where the Rams took down the Falcons 37 to 10 not just took down but really continue to help unravel that Atlanta season they're one and six they're one win in week two on Sunday night football against the Eagles kind of a fluke win well yesterday they suffered a fluke injury Matt Ryan was rolled over by Aaron Donald the last guy that you want coming down on your ankle your leg Matt Ryan had to exit the game early no update on his condition going forward however Matt Schwab came in with six for six for 65 yards and one TD passer rating of 156.6 yeah it doesn't help Atlanta all that much still puts them in a pretty bad place as the season continues to unravel for them and Dan Quinn's seat continues to get hotter I tell you what though on the other side Jared Goff 22 of 37 268 yards and two TDs a nice bounce back game for him as a Rams in their losing skid. Todd Gurley, 18 touches, 41 yards. I tell you what, the Rams move back above 500 at 4-3. and three. The Bills, 31-21 over Miami. The Dolphins had a lead at halftime, 14-9, but the Bills defense able to deliver the victory over Miami, and that keeps them winless at 0-6 on the year. The Bills, meanwhile, surprisingly keeping up. They're at 5-1. and one. The game included an onside kick return touchdown with a minute 38 to play. Micah Hyde, former Green Bay Packer and Iowa Hawkeye takes it to the house and that would seal the deal as the Bills get the victory. Josh Allen 16 to 26, 202 yards and two TDs, passer rating of 111.4. Big day for him. So I tell you what, Buffalo continues to keep themselves in the mix for a playoff spot. Jacksonville 27-17 winners over Cincinnati yesterday. Garner Minshew led a fourth quarter scoring drive from which Jacksonville would never trail the rest of the game. The defense, they were stout all day long. They make life difficult for Andy Dalton, picking him off three times. Minshew, by the way, 15-32, 255 yards and one TD. D.D. Westbrook, six catches for 103 yards. Leonard Fournette, 29 touches, 103 yards for Jacksonville. Joe Mixon, though, never really got going for Cincinnati, 10 touches, 2 yards. Ouch. Minnesota winners over the Lions yesterday at Ford Field, 42-30. to Kirk Cousins looks like a whole new quarterback here these last couple of weeks. Amazing what the words I'm sorry can do. Cousins 24-34, 337 yards, 4 TDs. He was not picked. Stafford was pretty good on the other side, though. 30-45, 364 yards, 4 TDs. He was picked once. Dalvin Cook a big day, 25 touches, 142 yards, found the end zone twice. On the other side, Marvin Jones. I went up against him in fantasy in like every league yesterday, and he decided to go off for 10 catches, 93 yards, and 4 TDs. Wasn't enough, though, as the Vikings outlast the Lions in a shootout. The Packers 42-24 winners over Oakland yesterday. A big day for Aaron Rodgers. That had to be the real story. Rodgers looked every bit like the best player in football, completing 25-31 passes for 429 yards, 5 TDs. He was not picked. He had a perfect passer rating of 158.3. 
Josh Jacobs, a big day on Oakland side, 21 touches, 124 yards. And Darren Waller, really nice game for him. One of the few non-mistakes I had in fantasy football so far this year, starting Darren Waller, seven catches, 126 yards, and two TDs, but not enough as Green Bay gets the win over Oakland. Indianapolis taking down Houston yesterday, 30-23. to They take command in the AFC South for now. Jacoby Brissett, 26-39, 326 yards, a career-high four TDs. Deshaun Watson, 23-34, 308 yards, one TD, but he was picked twice. Duke Johnson with a good day, carrying the football, seven touches, 34 yards. Meanwhile, DeAndre Hopkins, nine catches, 406 yards, including one TD, but it's not enough as the Colts get it done on a big day from Jacoby Brissett. The Niners remain unbeaten. They take down Washington in an ugly 9-0 victory. Robbie Gould with three field goals. That made the difference for the 49ers. Jimmy Garoppolo, 12-21, 151 yards and one interception. I don't think anybody looks at this Niner team and thinks Jimmy Garoppolo is the reason that they're still undefeated. On the other side of the ball, Case Keenum, 9-12, 77 yards, no TDs, no picks. Kind of an ugly game, kind of a boring game in a way, but the 49ers are 6-0. and And I tell you what, the last two unbeaten teams in football, the Patriots, 6-0, and chance to go to 7-0 and tonight, and the 49ers at 6-0. and Every year since the NFL merger that the AFC and the NFC have had at least one 6-0 and team, they've each had one 6-0 and team, those two teams have gone on to beat the Super Bowl every year that each conference has won 6-0 team the same year they have gone on to meet in the Super Bowl. If history proves true, that means it's going to be a New England-San Francisco Super Bowl. I'm not buying that yet. I still have New England-New Orleans, but we'll see. We'll see if history proves us wrong, if we've learned anything from the past. Tennessee holds on literally by inches to beat the Chargers yesterday, 23-20. to I'm just going to say, stop with all the Chargers have found more agonizing ways to lose than any other team ever. Chargers at 2-5, and five, had Super Bowl aspirations coming into this season. Melvin Gordon fumbles less than a yard from the end zone. About 4-5 inches shy of the end zone, he fumbles with under 10 seconds to play. The Titans pick it up, they hang on for a 23-20 to win. I tell you what, I feel for this guy who put down a $58,000 bet on the Chargers beating the Titans yesterday, and he misses out on a $58,000 payday by five inches because Melvin Gordon, one of the best running backs in football, keep in mind, missed the first portion of the season due to a contract holdout, fumbled the football away less than a foot from the goal line. Ryan Tannehill was 23 at 29 for 312 yards and two TDs. He was picked once in his first game as a Titan starter. Phillip Rivers, 24 38, 329 yards and two TDs. Derrick Henry, 22 touches for 90 yards. He scored once. And Corey Davis had six catches for 80 yards, including one touchdown. Tennessee gets a win to move to three and four. I was the only one who picked them and pick them, by the way. The Saints unraveled the Bears defense 36 25. Teddy Bridgewater, 5 0 as a starting quarterback with the New Orleans Saints. I tell you what, who would have thought this would happen? You would be a very rich man if you put down a bet after week two that the Saints would go 5-0 and without Drew Brees. But Teddy Bridgewater, Teddy Touchdown, gets the job done. 23-38, 281 yards, two TDs. On the other side, Mitch Trubisky, 34-54, 251 yards, two TDs. He was not picked. Big day for Latavius Murray, 27 touches, 119 yards, and two TDs. And Michael Thomas, nine catches for 131 yards. Allen Robinson on the other side was the Bears' highlight performer on offense. Ten catches for 87 yards, including one TD. 
I tell you what, as good as that Bears defense is, they have to just curse out the offense every single day because that Bears defense does not deserve that Bears offense or vice versa. I tell you what, from seeing reaction from a lot of my Bears friends, I think the Matt Nagy honeymoon is over. I think they're starting to get over Matt Nagy because they are 3-3 three and three right now. They were 3-3 three and three last year. Very different vibes to those 3-3 three and three starts. How about the Cardinals winning 27-21 over the Giants? Who is Chase Edmond, you might ask? He's the guy that ran for three TDs yesterday as they beat New York. 27 touches for 126 yards. Kyler Murray, 14-21, 104 yards, no TDs, no picks. Daniel Jones, kind of a mixed bag, 22-35, 223 yards, one TD, and one pick. Saquon Barkley, by the way, 18 touches, 72 yards, and one TDs. In his return to the Giant lineup, Arizona hangs on. By the way, they're maybe the hottest team in football right now, and I say maybe very liberally because they've won three in a row since an 0-3 and one start coach cliff coach handsome he's got the guys going in the right direction baltimore winners over seattle yesterday 30 to 16 the earl thomas revenge game oh there wasn't bad blood between him and his former teammates there was between him and pete carroll coldly walks by pete carroll during post-game handshakes Earl Thomas did do a jersey swap with russell wilson after the game wilson who came into the weekend as a leading candidate for mvp a little bit of a tough game for him. 20-41, 241 yards, one TD, one pick. Lamar Jackson on the other side, he just ran rough shot. It was Lamar's legs because he was 9 of 20 through the year. Lamar's legs got it done. 14 carries for 116 yards, including one TD. Him and the Ravens' defense were able to get it done as they take down Seattle. Then last night on Sunday Night Football, the Cowboys make a statement. 37-10, they take down the Eagles in a game that was never really that close. Carson Wentz hit a wide-open Dallas Goddard for a touchdown in the first quarter to get within 14-7. It was all Cowboys after that. Dak Prescott, 21 27, 239 yards, one TD, one pick. Carson Wentz, 16 26, 191 yards, one TD, and one pick. Zeke Elliott, 22 touches, 100 111 yards, including one TD. And Amari Cooper, good to have him back if you're a Dallas fan. Five catches, 106 yards, as Dallas rolls past Philadelphia in this one. I tell you what, let's revisit some audio from Eagles head coach Doug Peterson, because I know this is being played over all Dallas radio stations. Anyone who's a fan of the Cowboys, I'm sure has heard this audio. Doug Peterson guaranteeing victory earlier this week on Philadelphia Radio. We're going down to Dallas, and our guys are going to be ready to play. We're going to win that football game, and when we do, we're in first place in the NFC East. We control our own destiny. We're right where we need to be. Has it been perfect or beautiful or all of that? No. But all we got to do is try to be 1-0 this week, beat the Dallas Cowboys. We're in first place. And listen, they're reeling, too. I mean, they're struggling, too. They've dropped their last three games, so this will be an exciting football game. I tell you what, a lot of people want to throw Carson Wentz under the bus because of last night's game, and he really didn't play well. I think Doug Peterson might have had more to do with the Eagles' loss than Carson Wentz did. His conservative play calling just was terrible last night. It was really bad. And I think Peterson is one of the best coaches in the NFL, just not last night. Albeit the Eagles' secondary was a bigger reason than either of those two, Wentz or Peterson, why the Eagles got thrashed. Not just lost, but they got thrashed last night by Dallas. Now, you might think last night gives us a clear picture of who's a better quarterback between Carson Wentz and Dak Prescott. Will Kane certainly does. You heard him before I took the year, and you're going to hear him again once I sign off. And Will, you know, he's going on that revenge tour. I tell you what, I don't think last night is an accurate microcosm. And I'm not a fan of either team. I really couldn't care less. My two cents for what it's worth, I don't think last night was an accurate microcosm. I think they're both comparable quarterbacks. 
I don't think one has a significant edge over the other. Dak had a much better night last night. But man, last week he couldn't beat the Jets. He couldn't beat the winless Jets. I'll say this. I've seen more from Carson that I like throughout his career than I have Dak Prescott. Last night, it was certainly Dak's night. Dak was the better quarterback last night. I don't think there's a big gap between the two. I think they're pretty interchangeable. But if you gave me a choice, I think I would take Carson Wentz over Dak Prescott because Dak is good with a good offensive line. Dak is good with good wide receivers. You bring in Amari Cooper, that's where he started putting up his best numbers. And yeah, you need weapons. You need weapons to be a good quarterback. But I tell you what, a good quarterback is somebody who gives you a chance to win every single week. And I feel more confident in Carson Wentz to do that than I do with Dak Prescott, all weapons aside. That being said, give credit where credit's due, and Dak was the better quarterback last night. And you know what? Being a game manager is fine. If you want to be a game-managing quarterback, you can win with that. You can win with that. The Cowboys have done it before, and right now, they're starting to do it again with Dak Prescott. They ended that three-game losing streak last night. They moved to 4-3, and three, and they lead that division Who would have thought at this point the year the Arizona Cardinals and the San Francisco 49ers both have better records than the Philadelphia Eagles? All four teams in the West have better records than three of the four teams in the NFC East. It's wild, man. It's wild. This might have actually been fool's gold for the Cowboys, though, and here's why. Because they're going to come back to this win at the end of the year. This is what might make last night's win kind of a heartbreaker for the Cowboys because when they're evaluating how this season went, they're going to look back at this when Jason Garrett's contract is up in January and they're going to think about this win, a decisive win over a division rival with the division lead on the line. And maybe if the Cowboys don't get to the NFC Championship game, that's just enough for Jerry Jones to say, Jason Garrett needs a little more time. Maybe this win does that for him. Maybe it's a curse in disguise for the Cowboys. I don't know. I tell you what, before we hit the break, let's take a look at our pick'em standings. I tell you what, this might be my best week of the season because I'm currently 4-0. I will have a perfect 5-0 week. Nobody's had that yet in our friends of the show pick'em. I'll have a perfect 5-0 week if the Patriots beat the Jets tonight on Monday Night Football. I pick Kansas City, Indianapolis, the Titans. Again, I was the only one to pick the Titans over the Chargers, and they won literally by four or five inches. And I picked Dallas, and I'm going with New England tonight. So I'm on top at 23-11. and 11. Ryan Stieg is 20-14. and 14. He picked Kansas City, Indianapolis, which are both correct. The Chargers and Philly, which were both incorrect. Jake Durant, 19-15. and 15. He picked Kansas City, which was correct. And Dallas, which was correct. He also picked the Chargers and the Texans, which were not correct. And let it be known, Jake is the only one of us who picked the Jets to upset the Patriots tonight. You know what? I respect him for that pick. Going out on the limb, you got to risk it to get the biscuit. Tyree Smith is 17-17. and 17. He picked the Chiefs, but then he also picked the Texans, Eagles, and the Chargers. And John Michael Hoefling is 16-18. and 18. He also picked the Chiefs. We all picked the Chiefs. He picked Indy, but he picked the Chargers and Philadelphia after that. So I tell you what, that is Pick'em as we play every week here in the Sports Pen. Our friends of the show get together. We pick five games every week throughout the NFL season. With that, let's take a timeout. When we come back, I've got some thoughts on 
baseball. We've got the World Series matchup set. Plus, what did you miss from this weekend in sports? Next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. The World Series matchup is set. The Houston Astros win the American League pennant for the second time in three years. They are on to take on the Washington Nationals who are making their first ever trip to the Fall Classic. The World Series beginning tomorrow night at Minute Maid Park in Houston. Max Scherzer and Garrett Cole, the pitching matchup. I can't wait. I'm literally tingling thinking about this series and the pitching that we're going to get to see that's going to be on display for us. 8.08 the first pitch tomorrow and as always every second of the action is yours via ESPN-UP. You can hear it on our AM and FM and with our app get the ESPN World Series radio broadcast for free with the ESPN-UP app or just go to our AM and FM stations on your radio dial. Proud to have it for you right here. I tell you what, this series is going to display some of the best pitching that we've seen in a long time in any World Series matchup. And I've said it before, in the postseason, great pitching beats great hitting. And we have seen some great pitching staffs go up against each other, but it's hard to think of one as good as this matchup in recent memory. we got Garrett Cole, Max Scherzer tomorrow night. We still have Justin Verlander, Zach Grinke, guys like that that are going to come up for Houston. And on Washington side, you've still got Anibal Sanchez, Steven Strasburg, Patrick Corbin. I tell you what, a lot of people forget this. But remember when the Minnesota Twins in 2018 had Anibal Sanchez in their spring training roster and cut him before the season started, never even made the opening day roster, never played a regular season game for them? Oops, I remember that. Maybe a lot of our listeners didn't, but I sure remember that when that was stings a little bit. I tell you what, though, it makes me feel better knowing that the Yankees are now playing in the World Series because Jose Altuve had something to say about it, walking it off Saturday night with a victory to send Houston back to the World Series for the second time in three years. The 2-1 to Altuve, a swing and a high fly ball to deep left field. It's over! He hit it out! Jose Altuve with a two-run bomb off Aroldis Chapman. And the Astros are going to the World Series. I remember when Chapman came into a ball game and you just knew it was over. At his peak, Chapman was comparable to Mariano Rivera in the sense that it was just over. If you were down going into the ninth, you knew you didn't have a shot. In the last couple of years, Chapman's been a little bit erratic. Maybe Yankees fans have been spoiled by Mariano Rivera, and it just seems that way. Maybe I'm just bitter at the Yankees sweeping out the Twins, as they do, it seems like, every year. But I tell you what, the fact that the Twins have as many AL pennants as the Yankees do this decade makes up for it, makes it a whole lot sweeter, makes it a lot easier to swallow. By the way, here's your stat of the day. This is the first decade in which the Yankees will not appear in a World Series since the 1910s. Think about that. The Yankees did not appear in a World Series this decade. The last time that happened was 1910 through 1919. It's a 100-year-old streak that the Yankees have been involved in at least one World Series every decade. I'm okay with seeing that streak come to an end. Maybe I'm just a Yankee hater. I don't like how you can buy a World Series. You think you can just buy a championship. The Yankees had the opportunity to do it this year, and they didn't do it. 
They didn't go out and get starting pitching. They didn't go out and get Patrick Corbin. I know you wouldn't have got Zach Grinke because the Yankees were on his no-trade list, but, man, you needed somebody because that Yankee pitching staff inevitably was their downfall. Houston's was just better. Washington's is better. Washington, I think, would have beat the Yankees in the World Series. We have the best pitching matchup possible going up against each other in the World Series, and I'm here for it. Houston, Washington, I still have Houston winning this one. I think their offense is a little bit better. Pitching staffs are comparable, and Houston has a home field. I'm going to go with Houston. I picked them to beat the Dodgers when the playoffs started. I'm sticking with Houston. I think they beat the Nationals in the World Series. Again, every second of the action is yours right here on ESPN-UP and online with our app. What you might have missed from this weekend in sports, college football, Clemson didn't have many problems Saturday when they took down Louisville 45-10. to Again, it was played in Louisville. Maybe the only problem that they had, other than Ohio State jumping them in the rankings the next day, was the fact that Andrew Booth, a freshman corner, was kicked out of the game for punching a Louisville player during a kick return. He got him on the ground, and they took a swing at him. He wasn't ejected by the officials first, though. It was his own coach, Dabo Sweeney, that sent him back to the locker room before he was officially disqualified from the game. Dabo, during his weekly teleconference yesterday, informed the media that Booth did not fly home with the team. Instead, he had to ride the manager's bus home from Louisville, Kentucky to Clemson, South Carolina, roughly a 450-mile trip. According to Sweeney, Booth has handled the situation well. He's taken ownership. He's talked about how that was so out of character for him. Booth has since apologized to his teammates, the athletic department at Clemson. But I like that out of Dabo Sweeney. You don't get to fly home with the team, not after you do that, give our program that kind of black eye. Now you got to ride the bus home. you got 450 miles of highway to think about it. Think about what you did. You might have missed that over the weekend. You also might have missed this. Lane Kiffin. Remember him? Lane Kiffin is currently the head football coach at Florida Atlantic. His team lost a game this weekend, and Lane Kiffin lost $5,000. It wasn't without controversy. There were some questionable calls toward the end of the game that Lane Kiffin took it as bias against his team. So after the game, which Marshall won 36-31, Lane Kiffin took to Twitter, and he tweeted out a picture of three officials wearing sunglasses, each holding a cane, and each with a guide dog. And he tagged the conference in it, at Conference USA, with three blind officials, indicating that he was displeased with the officiating, felt that they were the reason that his team lost to Marshall on Friday. Conference USA did not think it was funny. Conference USA responded by fining Lane Kiffin $5,000. Kiffin said yesterday, he told ESPN, I just lost $5,000 for a tweet. We have freedom of speech, but I guess around here there's no such thing as freedom of tweet. Maybe LeBron James will come out and comment about it tomorrow. I tell you what, here's where the line gets a little bit gray. Because we just saw what happened with Daryl Morey in the NBA in China. Daryl Morey setting the world on fire. Not only from a business standpoint, but from a geopolitical standpoint. With one tweet. A seven-word tweet. And now with a technically one word, just a username, and a picture, Lane Kiffin is out $5,000. He claims that his freedom of speech right was violated. And he's kind of tongue-in-cheek poking fun at the NBA in the situation that is going on with them. Maybe LeBron James will comment on it. 
here's where you get into public versus private enterprise regarding brands and how you make your employer look. In this case, Conference USA. Is what Kiffin did a bad look for Conference USA? Yeah, it's probably a worse look than what happened with the game. Conference USA immediately puts a stop to it. And I'm all for freedom of speech. But there is such thing as private enterprise. And your employer, in this case Conference USA, has a brand to protect. That being said, I don't totally feel like Lane Kiffin is in the wrong here. I don't know where I stand on this. Because I do value the First Amendment and freedom of speech. At the same point, I get that you can't be dumb on social media, or really anywhere. You gotta be smart about what you say, and you gotta protect your brand. I don't like the comparison to the NBA and Daryl Morey's tweet from a professional standpoint. From a troll point, sure, I'm okay with that. But from a professional standpoint, it's a big difference between what Morey tweeted about human atrocities and human right violations going on in Hong Kong and Lane Kiffin being upset thinking that the officials have a vendetta against Florida Atlantic University during a Friday night Conference USA football game. We're seeing a lot of criticism toward officials here in recent weeks. We saw it a week ago tonight with Monday Night Football, where a couple of questionable officiating rulings set up the Packers for a victory over the Lions. Here's the thing. Being an official is a thankless job. And people, even at the highest level, are going to make mistakes. With Monday Night Football, one of the biggest complaints that we had here at ESPN, you know, some people don't like Booger McFarlane. A lot of people didn't like Jason Witten last year. But they're still at the highest level of their profession. There's a lot of other guys outside of our network people don't think should have the jobs that they do. Some people don't like Joe Buck. Some people don't like Troy Aikman. They're still at the highest level of what they do. And a lot of people think that those guys maybe aren't qualified for their jobs. I'm not commenting on that. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm not endorsing that point of view. But it's the same thing with officials. They're at the highest level of their profession at the NFL, the NBA, the MLB, the NHL, and so forth. And yet there are a lot of people who think that they are not qualified for their jobs. And whether they are or not, they're humans and they're going to make mistakes. That being said, if we've got the technology, such as replay, to help them out, we should be using it. We should be implementing that, taking advantage of that. That's a whole other discussion, though. I'm not harping on officials because it's a thankless job where you're bound to make mistakes. But here's my message for you. Officiating gaffes are going to be a part of the game at every level. High school, college, pro, Pop Warner, everywhere. It's going to happen. I'm a fan of reality and owning up to reality. And believe me, I hate it when an official is what decides the outcome of a game. But that's the reality of it. What is not reality is believing that every officiating gaffe means that that official has a vendetta against your team. Bad calls are bound to happen. But nobody's going to quit watching football or any other sport because of it. We're still going to tune in every single week. And we're just going to hope that it doesn't happen to our team. Now, some people have more pull than others do. Tom Brady can tweet about how officiating isn't good on a given week. And the NFL has a conference with their referees. And they start letting more go. Lane Kiffin issues a tweet. And he gets fined $5,000. I'm not saying one way or the other is right. Some people have more pull than others. Some are more important than others. 
What was that George Orwell quote? Everybody's equal, but some are more equal than others. That's the way it is between Tom Brady, Lane Kiffin, and anybody else who decides to speak out on officiating. Because it won't be perfect at any level, but that's a reality of the game. It does not mean that the officials have a vendetta against your team or they favor another. Let's take another time out. When we come back, what did this weekend do for the NFL MVP race? Maybe some newcomers joining the race. I know at least one that's going to shock you, and that's next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. Here's your Sports Center update. Clay Matthews has been fined for a recently deleted tweet. The NFL fined Matthews $12,500 for a tweet that said, The storyline for the 2019 season continues to be the ref's inability to make accurate and correct calls week in and week out. Al Riveron continues to blindly side with his refs and the current status quo. Something must change. Zero accountability. Hashtag through the wire. Tom Brady can get away with it. Clay Matthews can't. So if you want to get away with it, the line of demarcation is somewhere between Tom Brady and Clay Matthews. Yankees pitcher CeCe Sabathia officially announced his retirement from professional baseball today via Twitter. I always liked CeCe. Even though he was a Yankee, he was a Cleveland Indian. Good time with the Brewers. Short time, albeit it was a really good time. I've always liked CeCe. And finally, the Washington Nationals have scored 45 runs in the month of October, while the Washington Redskins have scored 24 points. In the same calendar month, the Washington Nationals have scored 45 runs. Their counterparts in the NFL side have scored 24 points in the month of October. That is your Sports Center update. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad you're with us on this Monday afternoon. Week 7 provided a major shakeup in the NFL MVP race. Some guys at the top might have seen their stock come down a little bit, while some guys around the middle of the pack, maybe around the fringe, we're making better cases for themselves. And we have one new fringe contender that is shocking everybody. And he got into the conversation, maybe not the race, but he's in the conversation with three little words. I am sorry. We'll get to that after this, but first I want to talk basketball. Because tomorrow night, a new season of the NBA tips off. And we have college basketball right on the horizon. The top 25 was released today. Michigan State, Sparty. They're only the second Big Ten team in the last 25 years to start the year ranked number one. The only other being Indiana back in the 2012-2013 season. So the top five in the preseason poll, Michigan State, Kentucky, Kansas, Duke, and Louisville. The top ten, Florida, Maryland, Gonzaga, North Carolina, Villanova. 11 through 15, Virginia, Seton Hall, Texas Tech, Memphis, and Oregon. Baylor, Utah State, Ohio State, Xavier, and St. Mary's, 16 through 20. Did you catch that? Utah State at number 17. Let's see how that one works out. 21 through 25, Arizona, LSU, Purdue, Auburn, and Virginia Commonwealth University. That is the top 25 in the preseason poll. Six teams in the top 25 poll have 10 to 1 odds or less to win the national championship, according to Caesar Sportsbook, with Michigan State, of course, having the best odds at 11 to 2 odds. Kentucky, Kansas, both at 6 to 1. Memphis at 8 to 1. Duke and Louisville, each 10 to 1. College basketball right on the horizon. I'm here for it, ladies and gentlemen. I can't wait for it. 
We have NBA basketball right on the horizon. Tomorrow night, we'll get it going with the defending champion Toronto Raptors, albeit without Kawhi Leonard, hosting the New Orleans Pelicans and Zion Williamson, except uh, Zion's not going to be playing. We already have a serious injury to Zion. He's going to be out a couple of weeks. They are optimistic that it's not going to be something long-term. That's going to be something he can recover from fairly quickly. So that means it's up to Drew Holiday to go up against Kyle Lowry and the Raptors tomorrow night at 8 o'clock to tip off the NBA season. And then we get a preview, potentially, of the Western Conference Finals when the Lakers take on the Clippers at Staples Center. If you're wondering, technically, it is a home game for the Clippers. I tell you what, I say this could be a preview of who wins the Western Conference because the West is absolutely loaded this year. But we have a consensus that these two teams are probably the best two. The Lakers and the Clippers. A lot of people believe that those two will be the top two seeds in the West, or at least contend for a spot in the finals against each other. So let me go on the record and give you my thoughts. I tell you what, when you compare these two teams, I think there's one clear winner between those two. I think there's one team that deserves to be the favorite over the other, and it's not the sexy pick. It's not the Lakers. I think the Clippers far and away have the advantage, and the Clippers should... Doesn't always work out that way. The Clippers should be the champions in the Western Conference this year. Let's compare each aspect of these teams. The big two. Each team has two top-tier players. On the Clippers' side, you got Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. The Lakers, LeBron James and Anthony Davis. You have LeBron James that's not getting any younger, and he's coming off injury, paired up with Anthony Davis, who's never done anything in the playoffs. Now, granted, that may not be his fault, but he doesn't have that experience. On the other side, you have Kawhi Leonard playing maybe the best basketball of his career coming off an NBA championship, which he worked through injury to will his team to that title. And Paul George, who's been an absolute workhorse throughout his career. If you give me my choice, I'm taking the Clippers top two over the Lakers top two. Plus, you throw in Pat Bev and the supporting cast that the Clippers have, it's just better than the Lakers. Rajon Rondo is going to have to play major minutes for this Laker team. The Clippers are deeper, and I think they're better at the top. Now, it's not to take anything away from AD and LeBron, because here's the thing. LeBron James was shut down at the end of last season due to injury, and he hasn't had this much rest and recovery time with his team missing the playoffs. He hasn't had this much time to rest and recover since he first came into the NBA. I do believe that when LeBron takes the floor tomorrow night, and at least through Christmas, we will see vintage LeBron James. He is going to be playing like his old self. But it's a marathon, not a sprint. Can LeBron do that for 82 games? Can he still play at the level in April that I expect him to play at tomorrow night and in the early months of this season? Maybe he can. I do think we're going to see vintage LeBron here in the first couple months of the season. But how long can he keep that going? Again, coming off injury, and he's not getting any younger. To me, it feels like LeBron needs Anthony Davis more to clinch a championship than Anthony Davis needs LeBron. They both need each other, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to take anything away from LeBron as a basketball player. But can LeBron keep playing at a high level throughout the course of an 82-game, six-month regular season? There are very few athletes who can do that at his age coming off the injury that he did. But then again, LeBron is unlike very many other athletes to ever walk the face of this earth. That being said, roster-wise, I'm still taking the Clippers over the Lakers. I like theirs just a little bit better, and I like theirs especially when it comes to depth. 
How about head coaches? Doc Rivers or Frank Vogel? Would you rather? That's a no-brainer to me, and that is meant as no disrespect to Frank Vogel. Doc Rivers is just as fine of a head coach as you will find in the NBA. And by the way, a lot of people miss this because it's not the sexy narrative to talk about. Doc Rivers came out in support of Daryl Morey, Houston Rockets GM, over the stance he took against China. Doc Rivers wasn't about to put money in front of human rights and doing what was right. I applaud him for that. I've always liked Doc, always respected him when he was a coach of the Celtics, and I still do as a coach of the Clippers. So roster personnel and head coach, both advantage Clippers. How about general manager? Do you like Michael Winger or do you like Rob Palenka? A lot of people don't know who Michael Winger is. A lot of you might be hearing his name for the first time. Everyone knows who Rob Palenka is if you've been following the Lakers here over the last year. And it's not always for the best reasons that you know his name. It's not always in a positive context. In that sense, I'm going with Michael Winger. And then ownership. Steve Ballmer or Jeannie Buss. Five years ago, the Clippers were owned by Donald Sterling. And the fallout from that mess, Steve Ballmer came in and he has elevated this team to championship contention. Jeannie Buss has had all the resources possible. She's had Magic Johnson, to an extent Rich Paul, at her disposal. And the Lakers aren't even making the postseason with LeBron James. Now granted, it somehow worked out for them where they're going to be one of the top tier teams in the West. But at the same point, she should have done a lot more with the resources she's had. I give the edge to the Clippers. So to me, the Clippers have the edge over the Lakers in terms of roster, coaching, general managers, and ownership. But we get round one tomorrow night, 10.30 Eastern. I might stay up to watch that. I know I'm going to pay for it in the morning. But guys, the NBA is back. And a game like that, I might have to do it. Can watch the World Series and then that back-to-back? Sounds like a pretty good night to me. Let's get to football, though, because we saw a major shakeup in the NFL MVP race this weekend. Can we all agree that there was a pretty consensus top four coming into the weekend? You had Russell Wilson, probably with the top spot. I think he was. Pat Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, and Christian McCaffrey, the top four. Maybe not in that order, but those ones seemed to be the consensus top four. Then you had a few guys that were just on the outside looking in. According to Caesar Sportsbook, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Lamar Jackson, and Carson Wentz made up spots five through eight. Brady, Rodgers, Jackson, and Wentz. A few other sports books had Dak Prescott right around that top 10 mark. So how did this week change the MVP race? Russell Wilson did not have a great game yesterday. He struggled against Baltimore. He got outdueled by Lamar Jackson, albeit maybe not through the air, but by his legs and the fact that Baltimore won that game by double digits. That being said, Russ is still not out of even the top three in the MVP race. Not in my eyes. Maybe he's not the consensus favorite anymore. But he's still a top three candidate, in my mind right now. Pat Mahomes is going to miss at least the next three games. Is he still in that top tier? He struggled the last couple of games due to injury. His health is his biggest nemesis right now. But if Pat Mahomes can come back and be the Pat Mahomes of old, he's going to be just fine. He's still going to be up there in that top tier. Deshaun Watson, his team's suffering a loss yesterday. I don't think that was because of him. He is still a darn good quarterback, and it wasn't his best game by any stretch, but I don't believe that he was a reason that the Texans lost to the Colts yesterday. Deshaun Watson's still going to be fine. He's still going to have a shot at the MVP. And Christian McCaffrey, Panthers were idle yesterday. 
He's doing just fine. I don't think he's going to get it because of the situation Jonathan Taylor's in. As far as winning the Heisman, there's just too many good quarterbacks in the top tier. The McCaffrey is on thin ice as far as being an MVP. It means McCaffrey, like Jonathan Taylor, in the Heisman voting, cannot have a bad game. Quarterbacks can afford to have a bad game. Joe Burrow, Tua Tagovailoa, they can afford to have a bad game and still be in the mix to go to New York to win the Heisman. Jonathan Taylor can't. In the same way, Pat Mahomes, Russell Wilson, they can afford to have bad games. Christian McCaffrey cannot if he wants to win the MVP. Tom Brady plays tonight. We haven't really seen where his line changes. Caesar Sportsbook has Tom Brady at plus 1,200 odds to win the MVP. We'll find out tonight if Week 7 changes that for him. Aaron Rodgers was at plus 1,400, just behind Tom Brady. He did nothing to hurt his MVP odds yesterday. In fact, he made a strong case for himself. With his best game of the year, he looked every bit like the greatest quarterback in football. So Aaron Rodgers, you got to say, is in the top five right now. Has to be. Aaron Rodgers is in the top five along with probably Wilson, Mahomes, Watson, McCaffrey, those four probably are all still going to be up there when the official odds come out here later this week. I think Aaron Rodgers will join them in the top five. We'll see what happens with Tom Brady tonight. Lamar Jackson, I think, made a huge case for it yesterday. Lamar Jackson is moving his MVP stock up. Dak Prescott moved his MVP stock up. I don't think either of them will get it, but they're both going to be talked about. They're both going to be in the conversation Maybe they're borderline fringe candidates, but they're going to be there in the conversation. I don't think either of them are going to get it, though. And then Carson Wentz last night could have been the knockout punch. I know it's week seven. He was still top seven odds coming into this weekend. Last night might have been the knockout punch for him, though. He came in at plus 1,500 odds, according to Caesars Sportsbook. Carson Wentz is not winning this year's MVP award. I don't think he can recover from last night. Maybe he can, fundamentally. But in the minds of those giving out the award of the voters, I don't believe he can. I don't believe he can. To me, Carson Wentz's MVP hopes went out the window last night. Is there a newcomer to the MVP race, though? Well, a few sports books are saying there's at least a fringe contender. It's one thing to be in the conversation, and it's another thing to be a real contender. And a few sports books are saying that Kirk Cousins is now in the conversation for MVP, which two weeks ago, I would have laughed at. A few weeks ago, Kirk Cousins seemed like the reason why the Vikings weren't going to win this year. Kirk Cousins seemed like the guy who was holding Minnesota back. He made the Vikings look like they were the Jaguars of 2017. They had the defense, they had the running game, they didn't have the quarterback. People were saying that about the Vikings Now Kirk Cousins is putting up MVP caliber numbers. Now if you're saying it's only a two-week sample, don't get too far ahead of yourself. How about this for a comparison? Kirk Cousins has a 114.3 passer rating. That is best in the NFL. Now I've admittedly said I don't take a lot of stock in a passer rating because Dak Prescott has the second best passer rating in NFL history. So let's keep going on down the list. Completion percentage. Kirk Cousins 70% which is fourth in the NFL. He's got great receivers. Fine. If you're still not convinced, yards per attempt, 9.1, which is first in the NFL. Adjusted net yards per attempt, 8.67, second best in the NFL. Touchdown interception ratio, 13 TDs to three interceptions. Pro football focus passing grade, 83.9 
which is fourth in the NFL. QBR, 57.7. Now, that might hurt him a little bit. That's 11th in the NFL. But again, 57.7. Aaron Rodgers is 58.8. Kirk Cousins and Aaron Rodgers, QBR, pretty comparable. I'm not being crazy here. Kirk Cousins is being talked about in the same breath as Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady for the NFL MVP award this year. And he did it with the three little words, I am sorry. He took ownership after Adam Thielen called him out. He responded, and now the Vikings are playing peak football. They're still my pick to win the NFC North this year. They really are. Kirk Cousins is not the reason the Vikings aren't winning anymore. Kirk Cousins is looking like he can be the reason the Vikings succeed down the stretch. Again, I don't think he's going to be a serious contender for the MVP. I don't think he's in the mix. But he's on the fringe, and he's being talked about, as he should be with the numbers that he's putting up. Has he had some bad games and some really bad moments? Absolutely he has. But the numbers are there. That Kirk Cousins is a top 8, 9, 10, somewhere in that range as far as an MVP candidate this year. As crazy as that might have sounded a few weeks ago, that is the reality we live in right now. I tell you what, let's take our last time out. When we come back, we're going to play over-under with the college football top 25 lines and finish out the shows we always do on Monday next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. If you missed any part of our show today, get caught up on demand, get our free mobile app from the Apple Line Store, Google Play, or look up ESPNUP.com and get the on-demand there. Tanner Hoops with you, glad to have you along as we wind down this Monday afternoon and Per usual, we end Monday's show playing over-under with the top 25 lines in college football. Top 25 teams in action this weekend. These are the lines per bet online. And there's some interesting ones this week. I tell you what, hopefully I have a better week than I did last week. I hope no one listened to the show and got your betting advice from it. Because last week was a brutal week as far as lines in the top 25. I mean, who could have predicted Illinois would beat Wisconsin? I remember saying to a friend on Tuesday that I thought about heading down to Escanaba and just hammering the over on Wisconsin, winning by like three touchdowns over Illinois. Thankful that I didn't. (laughs) I hope this is a better week for me because there are a few here that I'm pretty confident on. Let me give you my thoughts on these matchups. Top 25 games in college football this weekend. It begins with SMU, the Pony Express. Are they back? They're on the road at Houston, the Fighting Case Keenums, and they are 13-point favorites over the Cougars. You know what? I'm going to take the under on it, to be honest with you. I think that SMU is going to win. Houston is going to get up for a game like this. It's in Houston. I think SMU will win. I don't think they cover the 13-point spread. Iowa favored by 10 when they go on the road to take on Northwestern. I'm going to go with the slightly under on this. I think Iowa wins, but more like a touchdown. Northwestern's a tough place to play. If this was at Kinnick, I'd probably say, yeah, 10 points or more. I'd be okay with the Hawkeyes doing that, but I'm going to slightly take the under. I think Iowa wins by a touchdown at Northwestern this weekend. Appalachian State, they're still undefeated. 26-point favorites on the road against South Alabama. I'm taking the over on it. App State, they've given me no reason to think that they aren't going to continue playing as well as they have, especially against this schedule. You have Oklahoma on the road, 21-point favorites at K-State that game in Manhattan. I'm going to go with the over 
on it. I think Oklahoma and Jalen Hurts are going to continue on their march for the college football playoff and the Heisman respectively. I think OU has no problems this weekend in Manhattan. Ohio State 15-point favorites at home against Wisconsin. I'm going with the over on it. Jonathan Taylor, I don't know if he dropped out of the Heisman race last week. I tell you what, Jonathan Taylor was on really thin ice coming into this weekend. With the quarterback play that's been happening around college football this year, Jonathan Taylor would need to be almost perfect to win the Heisman. That fumble late, that might be enough to keep him out of a trip to New York. A game like this, I have to go with Ohio State to take the over as 15-point favorites at home against Wisco. Jonathan Taylor just didn't look like a Heisman candidate last week. That being said, I still think he is deserving to be in the mix. Latest odds, by the way, don't have him in the top four. Here are the latest odds. I've got them pulled up for you. Joe Burrow right now is the favorite, according to Bet Online. Jalen Hurts following him, then Tua Tagovailoa and Justin Fields, the top four. I still would put Jonathan Taylor above Justin Fields, but he has a chance to prove it this weekend, to prove it to the world. I just don't know that they're going to. I think Ohio State is much more of a balanced team. Wisconsin has really got one catalyst. That's why I'm taking Ohio State as 15-point favorites. I'll take the over. Michigan at home favorites over Notre Dame. Two-point favorites. You guys, I don't want to sound like a homer here. Don't accuse me of being a homer. But how is Michigan favored over Notre Dame? Honestly, I mean, I know Notre Dame hasn't had a lot of success at the big house these last few years. Maybe the last couple decades. But guys, come on. I picked Michigan to get the upset on the road against Penn State. They didn't. They didn't look good this weekend. Notre Dame is even better than they were last year. Guys, I'm taking the upset on this one. In fact, this might persuade me to take a trip down to Escanaba and hammer Notre Dame on the upset. I'm going with the Irish to upset Michigan this weekend, although I don't think that should be an upset. LSU at home, 11-point favorites against Auburn. I'll take the over on it. LSU is more consistent than Bo Nix and Auburn is. Joe Burrow, he's deservedly the Heisman frontrunner right now. Although I do like Jalen Hurts quite a bit for it. But Joe Burrow, it's hard to argue with what he's done so far. I'm taking LSU with the over. Penn State on the road, seven-point favorites at Michigan State. Penn State might be having a little momentum. I think I'm going to slightly take the over on it. Sparty's offense is spotty. So that's why I'm going to say about 10 points is where I'd set the line for Penn State at Michigan State. Minnesota, 15-point favorites at home against Maryland. I'm taking the over on it. The Gophers are going to be 8-0, and they're going to sign P.J. Fleck to like a lifetime contract. It just works out so well that the toughest game they get this year is like Wisconsin at the end of the year, and they'll win at least 10, 11 games, and then they'll have row the boat there for life. Iowa State at home against Oklahoma State. Cyclones are eight-point favorites. I'll go with the over on this one. Brock Purdy seems like he's starting to get things figured out on a consistent basis for Iowa State. Being in Ames, Oklahoma State has still been spotty. They've been leaving me skeptical this year. I'm going to go with Iowa State as eight-point favorites. I'm going to take the over this weekend against Oklahoma State. TCU at home against Texas. The Horned Frogs, one-point favorites. I'm taking the upset here. I like Sam Ellinger. I like Texas. Their two losses, yeah, you got to win those games. But they played well in those games. Sam Ellinger is not the reason they lost those games. I think they go on the road this weekend. They win in Fort Worth. I have Texas as upsetting TCU. How about Arizona State on the road? Three-point favorites at UCLA. I'll take the over on this. The Fighting Herms, for the most part, they've been pretty good offensively. They've been a little inconsistent at times. UCLA overperformed. They outkicked their coverage on Friday last week as they got the win over Stanford. I don't think they're going to do that again. Even if they're at home, 
I don't see that working out for the fighting Chip Kellys. Give me the fighting Herms taking the over as three-point favorites. Alabama at home with Arkansas, 34-point favorites. I'm taking the over on this one. Although Tua Tungavailoa, a little shaken up. I just don't want that to be an excuse if LSU beats Bama here in a couple of weeks. Don't say it's because Tua was hobbled, and that's the reason Alabama could still get into the college football playoff with a loss, or even two losses, the unthinkable. Give me Bama as five touchdown favorites over Arkansas this weekend. Clemson, 35-point favorites at home against B.C., Clemson's not looked overly impressive this year. Trevor Lawrence really has not looked overly impressive, has he? I don't think he has. Yet, it's BC, and it's at Clemson. I'm going to go with the over on it. I think the 35-point line is pretty good, but I'll go with it. Clemson over is 35-point favorites. Utah, 18-point favorites at home against Cal. I'm taking the under on it. I think the Utes still win this game, but Cal's defense is their strength. They've looked pretty good there at times this year. I think Utah wins it, but not by 18 points. It won't be... That big of a blowout. And then Oregon at home, 14-point favorites against Washington State. I'm taking the under on this one as well. I still think Oregon wins, but Wazoo can put up points with the best of them. I think it's going to be a shootout, and I don't think Oregon separates enough to win by two touchdowns. The Pac-12 is so weird this year. Teams in the Pac-12 against the spread are 10-21 and this year. They have gone against the spread in about a third of the games that the Pac-12 has played this year. That's insane. They just beat up on each other, and I should note that those are conference games. 10 of 21 against the spread in conference games. They just beat up on each other. That's why I'm going to go with the under on those two Pac-12 games. That is over-under as we play every Monday to end the show here in the sports pen. Hopefully it's a better week again for me than I had last week. I tell you what, Monday Night Football coming up this evening on ESPN-TV. We got the Patriots going on the road, taking on New York. Patriots dominated the Jets in Foxborough just a couple of weeks ago. Sam Darnold looked really impressive taking down the Cowboys last week. Can the Jets keep that momentum going into the Meadowlands tonight? The New Jersey Jets at home taking on New England. It's going to be a fun one. I still have the Patriots winning it. Jake Durant again going out on the limb, which I respect saying that the Jets will pull off the upset tonight and ride that wave of momentum. I'm hoping he's wrong because that means I would have a 5-0 and week and pick them. I haven't had one of those yet. It'd be my first. It'd be the first for anybody. Yeah, I'd love to come back and report to you tomorrow that I would be 24-11 and and pick them this year. It would be cool to see the Jets pulled off, though. I mean, whenever the Patriots lose, America wins, right? Outside of Boston, the New England area. I tell you what, we will talk about that one tomorrow. We'll recap that game for you. We'll have some audio from Northern Michigan Hockey Football. Hockey pulling off a top 20 victory this weekend. They went 1-0-1 at Boston U. A win and a tie. A rally in the third period on Friday night as Grant Petoni and the guys have a really nice weekend against the Terriers. We'll get his thoughts tomorrow and we'll preview game one of the World Series. All that and more coming up on tomorrow's show. Signing off from the ESPN UP WZAM Ishpeming Marquette Studios. I'm Tanner Hoops. Thanks for listening to the Sports Pen. Here's the Will Kane Show.